Welcome to Porcelain Peak, a strange and scary podcast covering all things horror and science fiction. Hello and welcome to season two, episode five, aka episode forty-eight. I'm back. Yes, and John is officially back, so the intro is accurate for this episode. Yeah. The circle is complete. How are you guys doing today? Pretty fantastic. I've had a I've had a great day. I'm also doing pretty well. I uh I was gone obviously for a week. Uh, that was due to a wedding, which was absolutely gorgeous and was super interesting. It was uh, one of the most out-of-the-box uh, receptions I've ever been to. It was uh, all done outdoors, and there was no, like, dance floor or, like, focus on, like, doing, like, music or, like, doing, like, a, you know, first dance or any of that stuff. It was just kind of a little bit of more of a laissez-faire attitude. Um, and it also, uh, they played like a bunch of yard games and stuff. And I learned a bunch of really cool yard games that I think that we should employ at our next party. Did you play cornhole? We did play cornhole. Um, in, in reality, John was kidnapped and we refused to deal with terrorists. So (laughs) he went through some extensive torture, but he's back. A little Uh, sore. (laughs) Uh, no torture. Actually. I am a full blown Avril Lavigne replacement. Yeah. <laughs> or Paul McCartney. Yeah, whoever you are, uh, you subscribe to as that uh, conspiracy. Uh, the game that I did play though that was a little uh, a little ridiculous is beer darts. So you take four cans of beer and you arrange them in an X, and then you throw darts at them. And then if you hit it at the bottom of the can and it explodes, that person then has to pick up that can and shotgun that beer. Whoa! Yeah, it's gnarly. That's a, that is a one and done game. That's the most white trash thing oh, I've ever heard. It is. <laughs> Obviously, you've, you've met my family. <laughs> um, but yeah, the game that we did play is called Mulkey, and that game is really cool. So it's like a combination of like bowling and... Um, so you suck at that one, too. <laughs> it's like a combination of bowling uh, and then like a... Like a... Almost kind of like cornhole, but like so you like toss this like cylindrical piece of wood at a bunch of standees that are also made of wood that have denominations on them. And if you knock down more than one, you get how many you knock down. But if you get a specific one and only knock down that one, you get the value of that pin. And then as you knock them down, they spread out uh, and they like, you pick it up where it fell over and then so you put it right back there. So it spreads out as the game gets longer and you try that you try to get the first person to get to 50 without going over. Hmm. Interesting. That does sound pretty fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I have a little bit of sad news for listeners. Um, None of us are wearing horror shirts. <laughs> I thought I thought you were I thought you were jumping right into uh, uh, the saddest news. Sid. Yeah, Sid Haig. Oh yes. Yeah, Sid Haig. Pa- as of recording, Sid Haig passed away like a day or two ago, and it was it's really sad. I'm glad that he got to make it to see his final film come out. Uh, but I mean, you could tell just in like the lead up to that, if you follow him on any social medias or anything like that, that he's been sick for a really long time. And I mean, it's good for him and for his family that he doesn't have to suffer anymore. 
but it's really sad for the community just because people people love Sid Haig and Sid Haig loved the community like he was a a big proponent of like going to cons meeting up with people not like going out there and charging an arm and a leg to sign pictures but actually like going up and meeting up with fans and I I thought that was really cool somebody who was super humble in his approach to being one of the scariest people on film <laughs> yep Another icon loss. Seems like they're dropping like flies these days. Yeah, the older we get, the worse it gets. I'm yeah. just waiting for Carpenter, and then I'm done. Don't even say it, man. Close the book on the genre. <laughs> End the podcast. That'll be it, yeah. Um, this week, we are going to continue with the September sci-fi stuff, and we are going to be talking about Ad Astra. If you're not familiar with that term, that is Latin for Brad Pitt's sexy ass. <laughs> <laughs> And boy, ad. was it. And boy, was it. Traveled all the way to Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Actually, it's a Latin for to the stars. But before we do that, we will go ahead and jump into some news. All right, so I'm going to jump in. Um, American Horror Story, whatever they're calling this one, 1984, 1984 is out now. Um, the first episode has like a 98% on Rotten that, Tomatoes, yeah. if you're into that sort of thing. I spoke to my sister about it, and she said that she was not into it. <laughs> is she typically a big American Horror Story person? No. Oh, okay. But she asked me about it because she knows that we do this kind of stuff. And she was like, can you watch horror yet? And I was like, I cannot. But, You're getting uh, close, man. Yeah, no, it's been rough. And I think that uh, I'm pretty over it. So Yeah, October's going to be tight. When this episode comes out, it'll be tomorrow for me, essentially, that I can start again. And I'm ready because Scream 3 season is out now. And I'm ready to watch that garbage. And, and you got your new Hell House. <laughs> got the new Hell House, yep. And uh, we got to watch all these fucking movies, so... Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm ready. I'm yeah, so ready. Putting together that list for the schedule that we're going to be sharing with uh, listeners, I realized how much weird, random shit we have lined up uh, <laughs> in those first couple weeks. Yeah, the whole gonna... list, but those first couple weeks, like, there's definitely some strange stuff. Yeah, there, there's some very, very, very indie projects. I mean, like, shoestring budget. Shot on a potato. Yeah, indie projects. It's 80 gonna be, minutes. It's yeah. going to be fun. I'm ready. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of this episode and share some more news about that with you guys. But yeah, I mean, American Horror Story, we've talked about it a little bit where they usually have pretty good ideas, and then the seasons sometimes are hit, sometimes they're misses, and then even if they are good, a lot of the times it will kind of flounder toward the end. Yeah, They, they yeah. go too big, too fast, and then run out of room. Like Roanoke had some really cool stuff, and then that last episode kind of sucked. Yeah, I felt like it should have ended most... Most of the seasons, I feel like, need to end like one or two episodes before they actually end up ending. I'll check it out. I mean, with reviews like that, I at least need to give the first episode a shot. Yeah, and it's right up our wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and to give another shout-out to a person who continuously shouts us out on socials, Ashley, my sister-in-law, she watched the first episode and she really enjoyed it. She has good taste and she also uh, can be picky about things, so when she likes something, it's usually a, 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 a buy and not a sell. I know. I know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what else you guys got? Uh, so for me, today we found out that not only are they making a Jurassic World 3, which I'm indifferent about that, 
but I am a little more intrigued by the fact that they're going to be bringing back the three leads from the original Jurassic Park. Shit, I did not hear that. Yeah. Goldblum? Goldblum. Sam Neill? Yep. Laura Dern. And Laura Dern. Yep. No Damn. way. Damn. I saw something about Sam Neill, but they teased him in the last one, too. There was, like, all these rumors that he was on set. So I was a little bit bummed out when that didn't happen, so I really hope this does happen. No, yeah. He played the raptor. <laughs> <laughs> was there actually just a regular raptor in that movie? I I never. I didn't see the, the Fallen Kingdom or whatever. I skipped out on it. I it's, heard it was bad. It's bad. Yeah. Smart yeah. play. Yeah. I really did not enjoy it. I think I I think reviewing it for Entertainment Vortex, I think I gave it like a four or a five. I was not happy. Ouch. Yeah. Especially considering I while it was not perfect, I enjoyed Jurassic World. Yeah. I didn't think I that it was, was fun. I, I thought it was a, a good time, good popcorn flick. I didn't think that it was perfect. I mean, because the original is perfect. The pacing is incredible. The effects they hold up because they're practical and they just had a great cast they did a great job making that so believable and especially considering it hit me right in the nostalgia right at that territory where i was like oh dinosaurs fucking dope <laughs> yeah and i still sums, sums up my thoughts on dinosaurs too <laughs> yeah i still feel that way about dinosaurs i'm like dinosaurs are the fucking coolest thing that's ever existed ever for the most part and it's really sad that they decided to go full crazy with it in jurassic world 2 yeah it wasn't wasn't my cup of tea. I, I don't think I would ever watch it again. It reminded me of too much of the same shit, but not enough to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in my neck of the woods, uh, for news, I want to talk a little bit about A Quiet Place Part 2. Ooh. Ooh. I didn't know there was any news about this. Yeah. So John Krasinski is helming this one. Uh, he nice. put out an Instagram photo showing that they have wrapped filming on the movie. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was a photo of him and uh, his wife, Emily Blunt, walking on a very familiar bridge from the first movie mm. on sand, uh, like they used in the first one to quiet their footsteps. So, yeah, it's A Quiet Place Part 2. A couple people that are joining the cast that I'm excited about, Killian Murphy. Whoa, all right. I love and, Killian Murphy. Yeah, I, I do, too. Those those eyes. Um, and I think it's, I believe it's Damon Hansu. Uh, he was from, uh, he's a, people know him from Guardians of the Galaxy or mm -hmm. Captain Marvel. He's joining the cast as well. It looks like they are shooting for a, I believe it's either March or May, one of those M months. They are shooting for a March 20th, 2020 release date. I think that, that mirrors their, or the original release date for the first one. I think that one came out in a March or April territory. Yeah, it was kind of a weird time for a, a horror movie, but yeah. Um, if any, I mean, if anything, movies like Deadpool have proved that you can release a movie whenever the fuck you want, and it's still <laughs> going to do well if it's a good movie. Yeah. I mean, Deadpool in general can do whatever the fuck it wants and get away with it. But yeah, I'm excited because I didn't really think that A Quiet Place needed a sequel Agreed. in any way, shape, or form. At all. At all. Uh, apparently, it is going to still be following... The, the same family and it's going to be the, you know the same characters just with more people from the outside world added in it, it sounds like there's not a lot of information on what the plot of the movie is going to be but if Krasinski's involved and he's helming the project I liked the first one well enough that I trust that you know and they're calling it part two as if it was always the intention to have some sort of continuation. I doubt that's the case, but... If they came up with a cool enough idea to make it work, I'm in. Yeah, if it expands without getting too crazy on some of the lore that we got in the first one, without really over-explaining and getting wacky... Going then... all Walking Dead with it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that it's going to be... 
it's something that I'll, I'll start looking forward to as the, as we get closer to the new year. The first one, because it was that family dynamic and it was so small and contained, had so much heart and emotion mm-hmm. to it that I, I would be surprised if they were able to replicate that even a little bit. I wonder kind of if they're going to go in more of a Terminator, Terminator 2 route where instead of making this horror movie essentially or the Alien Aliens route, they're going to turn it into sort of an action movie. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. And that could be equally as good. Obviously, we've yeah. seen with those two franchises how both those took a different turn and ended up being successful. But I don't know. It'd be weird for them to to try to recreate that. Like it's, I mean, that was just a good movie. Like We don't need sequels. Yeah, leave yeah. it alone. Leave it alone. But at this point, it's not being left alone. Obviously, an entire right. movie has now been filmed. We can't do anything <laughs> about it. Um, I'm not one of those. Let's start a change.org petition against The Quiet Place Part 2. <laughs> So let's just go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt and hope that when it rolls around and we get around to reviewing it, which I'm sure we'll be covering it here on the pod, that we have some good things to say about it. Yeah. And I mean, you brought up Alien and Aliens and Terminator and Terminator 2. I mean, in the Aliens route, Aliens is a really good movie. It's, I don't know if it's as good as Alien. Alien is so claustrophobic and get contained. And I love that about that film. But looking at Terminator, Terminator 2 is a better film period. There's not really an argument against that. Terminator 2 is one of the best action films ever created of all time. So if they do make some kind of a turn, it could potentially be just a different genre, but better than the first, which would be tight. I don't think we should get ourselves hyped up that much. <laughs> We're but, excited about something you know, we like have no idea about. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, it kind of sounds like you're doing exactly that, which is trying to get us as hyped as possible. No, I, I want def- that shit right now! <laughs> All right, well, if there's any news that you want to share with us, go ahead and shoot that over to porcelainpeak.com. Other than that, then we are going to move on to that trivia. Try to break Anthony's winning streak. Trivia. It's not going to happen. Here's how we play. I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. Come on, it'll be fun. And as a reminder, this is going to be the Pass the Popcorn Thrills and Chills edition, and we are working on that point system. So your first clue is from a 2005 fantasy, and the quote is, there's an eye in me soup. Is it Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, it is not Pirates of the Caribbean. I thought the exact same thing. So now it goes to him, yeah? He can steal if he'd like. Oh, I get to steal. Okay, so the quote was, there's an eye in me soup. What was the year and the, the genre? 2005 fantasy. Man, I, I I really don't know. I'm drawing a complete blank on this one. Do we want to let him go through the card or that's it? So I, I think that we'll, we'll do what we did last time, basically saying, if you know the answer to that question, go ahead and hit us up on our socials when you listen to the episode. Uh, if you get it right, we'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Yeah. 1973 horror. All right, shoot. The demon is a liar. He will lie to confuse us, but we also mix lies with the truth to attack us. The Exorcist? It is The Exorcist. Nice. So upset right now. Four points for Anthony Silva. (laughs) You have a 1954 thriller. Great. You'll get this one. It's not a problem. Your quote is, I wonder if it's ethical to watch a man with binoculars and a long focus lens. Rear window. Bingo. Okay, John. Right up your a-hole. Allie. (laughs) 
1988 slasher film. Mm. And the quote is, we're friends till the end. Remember? Child's play? Yes, that is correct. All right. We got a tied game on our hands. Yeah, until one of you guys answers a question. It doesn't matter how (laughs) far into the card it is. All right. 2005 horror. Zombies, man. They creep me out. Is it Zombieland? No. No. Ooh, go for it. The Steel. 2005 horror. Horror. Zombies, man. There's so much zombie shit. It's like, that's... Land of the Dead. It is Land of the Dead. What? Oh, shit. That's a four square? Yep. Still got to ask me my card. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But I already won, so it doesn't matter. 1987 thriller. Your quote is... Do you think God knew what he was doing when he created women? This is a question for you, Anthony. Do <laughs> <laughs> you got a guess? Or are you going to let me try to steal? Oh, I guess we can still do that, huh? Oh, John's excited. And he, then you don't win. I don't win. Yeah, well, we, we, we would just be tied. Yeah. But, Say it again, the whole thing. The What's the year? 1987 thriller. Your quote is, do you think God knew what he was doing when he created women? If John ties this, knife fight. <laughs> but, you, <laughs> see, but you could also take more clues and you would still be... Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's the next one? So the cast? Yes. Yeah. It's Jack Nicholson as Daryl Van Horn, Alexandra, Sookie, and Jane. You take another clue? Yeah. Give me the yellow one. The town busybody vomits hundreds of cherry pits. I guess I'm not that familiar with Jack Nicholson's work. You take the story. Yeah, give me the story, I guess. And the story is, the devil moves into a small New England town and seduces three single women. I 1,000% have no fucking idea what this is. Yeah, this one's hard. I don't think any of us have seen this movie. I got nothing. All right, you well. You can steal it for a point if you want. I mean, it's not worth anything to me to try to fucking stab at it. Well, if any of the listeners know what this one is, I'll be impressed. Nice. Yeah, that was tough. But I still won. Back on tap. I'm the champion. Well, I had a good run. <laughs> I've had no runs. <laughs> That's good, John. <laughs> All right, well, if you enjoyed that news and that trivia, then hit that subscribe button and you can get that shit every week. But that being said, the moment of truth, three weeks in the waiting, we are going to be jumping into our main dish of Ad Astra. Dead Astra. (laughs) (laughs) I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth... The Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? (sighs) Ignorance is bliss. All right, so let's just jump in. Um... Different than how we previously did things with last season where we kind of give you more of a play-by-play. We're just going to talk about the movie in more of a review style and analytical style, I guess. Um, so, where do you guys want to start? I mean, I right, guess... Right off the bat... Gorgeous. The vi- visuals are a fucking win. I mean, the like some of the most beautiful space visuals ever. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody is going to be able to disagree. As, as polarizing as the movie is going to be, I don't think anybody can disagree with the fact that it's absolutely gorgeous it is 1000 percent worth the ticket ticket value alone just to be able to sit and watch that on a big screen yeah see it on the biggest screen you can in your town it looked so real like i guess i don't know what 
you know space looks like but <laughs> it's just incredible yeah i was like whoa shit like we're we're there and there was a lot of times and with some of the shots i was like okay i feel like this is brad pitt's perspective even you know what i mean and there was that scene where he was talking about I'm, i feel like i'm outside of myself mm-hmm. and i felt like we were him watching himself almost in some of the parts it was wild and yeah i mean like you were saying i think you told me a little bit of how they do kind of stuff with sound yeah and that happens a lot i mean the sound design everything this movie is masterly crafted it, it's it's perfect it's a technical marvel yeah it's crazy yeah, and in terms of the visuals, um, I was actually looking into it because I know we were wondering, John and I were, um, who the cinematographer was because we said that there were some parts that kind of stuck out to us as being sort of Blade Runner similar, so kind of a or, Roger Deakins. Or, yeah. or Kubrick-esque, potentially, yeah, Kubrick-esque. with like the, the way that the colors shift in that scene where he's in like that orange hallway on Mars. Mm-hmm. Like That totally reminded me of something from 2001. Dude, yes. yeah, the whole time. I was thinking 2001, and I thought a lot about 2049. I was like, this is probably the most gorgeous movie I've seen since 2049. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Yeah, and the cinematographer is Hoyt Van Hoytema. Um, so in terms of actually the, the, the use of color, this makes a lot of sense. He was the cinematographer for her, the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Oh, yeah. He did Interstellar, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, did the James Bond movie Spectre and Dunkirk, which was also a gorgeous movie. Dude, that shit all checks out, though, especially her. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely makes sense why this movie looks as good as it does. Right. And it, even with Dunkirk, was it very realistic? Like, you felt like you were there. Nothing felt like you were in a movie. It just felt like you were watching these people. Like, I'm watching you now. Mm. And that's how I felt a lot of the time watching Ad Astra. Yeah. it it These movies are getting so good these days at making you feel like you're in a place that we'll potentially never be able to visit, but that we've seen so much of, like, I feel like people know so much about how space looks and feels from seeing videos from the space station or, you know, and things like that, but being able to really apply the physics, you know, and then the movie, the movie's not hundred percent scientifically accurate and that's not the point. And I've listened to interviews with James Gray, the director, and he talked about, you know, you can only go so far in a movie with being hundred percent scientifically accurate before it starts to break the purpose of your movie. But I think Interstellar. <laughs> yeah. But I think that for the most part, the stuff that they did that feels real feels really real. The mm-hmm. the lunar chase, that whole action scene, how it keeps switching between being completely silent and you're seeing this stuff happen and your brain almost isn't used to not hearing explosion sounds when explosions are happening and things are falling apart. And just the muffled like laser fire stuff. It sounds so cool. And then having it switch into, like you were saying, Brad Pitt's perspective. And, and hearing him breathe inside of his helmet, and that gives you anxiety, hearing him breathing or hearing just the sounds suddenly from inside his helmet or inside of the spacecraft when shit's going down, I think is such a cool device that more filmmakers who are trying to do these realistic space movies are trying to do. Well, I've never seen a film where something as vast as the entire galaxy has felt so claustrophobic. I mean, it it's because you, you feel like you're in that spacesuit with him at all times. And just that it just like even being like contained by like the fabric and the helmet, like it just it feels like like I said, it's just very, very close quarters and it's bizarre based on how vast space is. Yeah, and you have tiny moments like when he gets the tear in his spacesuit and you start to freak out because you're like, he can't figure out where it's coming from and you can't you don't know exactly what's happening really or what's going you know, because everything's so chaotic. And you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, you you can't breathe in that moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think another good thing about the whole movie is is the world building. 
right? Because you don't, they don't tell you anything except that's that, in the future a little bit. That's it. Yeah, that's it. But everything is so believable. They have it all planned out. Like you get this space antenna and you get all this stuff and they have all these bases on Mars or like it's the one. And then they have all this stuff going on on the moon and it feels lived in. Like all of it is lived in. It's not we're discovering stuff. This stuff is already there. This point where you get in this movie where they go to the moon and then you go into Mars, it is where movies end. Like, that's where movies go to, and we're going past it. Like, that's already there. We don't even care about it. We're going further than that. Yeah, that's the first stop, and we're going all the way to the end of the track. (laughs) Um, So in 20 years, when all this stuff is actually uh, not fiction anymore, uh, do you guys want to meet me on the moon for a Sabaro? (laughs) Or an Orange Julius? An Apple. Go to Applebee's. Get a few drinks. Go to Applebee's to go. Go to Apple. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I thought, you know, he even remarks on it in the movie, but the fact that they've commercialized the moon, it reminded me of Futurama. Mm-hmm. When they go to the moon, how they, that's what would happen is we would just turn the moon into like a Disneyland. We yeah. would turn it into a very dangerous Disneyland where it would just be shopping. It would just be more room for us to put our shit. And then like five feet to the right, there's a fucking war going on. It's crazy. Well, and it wasn't heavy handed with the political stuff like that, right? Where it's not just about the consumerism and about us expanding and destroying stuff. Obviously, that gets touched on, but that's not the focus of this movie at all. Not at all. No, the the what I loved so much about the movie, and I know this is probably going to be the most polarizing thing for a lot of people, is how simple at the end of the day the narrative of the movie is. And I and I know a lot of people are going to go into this movie with an expectation. I luckily had seen snippets of like one trailer. All I knew was Brad Pitt space movie. And I figured it was going to be kind of like interstellar. It wasn't and maybe less adventurous, which it was. I, I love those movies that take a very, very simple concept, which in this case is the father son story. And they set it somewhere fantastical, but at the base of it, it's not about building this huge crazy world. You get snippets. It's very much like her, you know, how the world in that is very, going back to that movie, it's very well realized without beating you over the head. And it feels plausible. It feels like something that will exist in the near future, like the movie says, or like a Black Mirror episode where it's just like, okay, this is what these things could actually look like given a little bit of time. And it brushes those. The space travel feels just like it. it it's like to go to an airport. In, yeah. in real life, you know, you go in, you have to check check in, they give you a seat. He, at one point, orders, like, the $150, like, pillow blanket set <laughs> for the trip to the moon. And I love little bits like that. Well, I mean, and even down to the down to the detail that, like, $150 probably won't be worth much, you know, at that point based on inflation and, you know, life happening the way that it normally does. Uh, it's definitely something where it feels... Like they took their time and they really crafted everything to feel like it should feel 20 or 30 years down the line or even further. I'm not sure exactly. It didn't ever give us a date. Right. I, I mean, so at that point, we're basically just speculating as to how far in the future it actually is. It's like the year is 2015. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, what I like to going back to what you were saying about how about the narrative. So the story is very light. Mm-hmm. So I will say that. So going in. The, the story's basic. There's not much to it. And that's okay. And it works out. So you get this ad for this movie and these trailers, and it, and you are kind of led to believe that this is a space movie. And it's just it's just not. It's not what you're thinking. It, it could have been a cross-country road trip. Right. And it reminded me <laughs> a lot of Arrival, 
where it's like, sure, that's an alien invasion movie, but that's not really an alien invasion movie. That's it's not, not what about that. Movie's that. About. It's about yeah. the characters, which yeah. is what this movie is about. Is exactly. it's about it's about Brad Pitt, and it's about Brad Pitt trying desperately to connect with his father, but at the same time not be his father. And so you get these really nice story beats where there are parts. I know John and I talked about this. There are parts where he he kills people. Just like his father has been accused of doing, he does these things where he he talks about how he doesn't want to be his father, and I mean it plays out literally at the end of the movie where he talks about do I want to find him or do I want to like disconnect myself from him, and then he literally has to do that at a point. But it, it is just about an absent father and what that does to a person who feels compelled to do the same thing their father did as a career, follow in these same footsteps, even travel the same distance and make this huge journey alone which his father has been alone for such a long time and you get to see a microcosm and it made me think like man for tommy lee jones to have been alone for so long out there when you see the toll that it takes on brad pitt's character when he travels just what it was like 70 something days or whatever yeah whatever to get to neptune and seeing how much that mentally messes with him i can't imagine the level of psychosis yeah and that stuff frightens me that was the scariest part to me is just how and that's what scares me about going to space. Like I mentioned on the uh, one of our previous episodes, how I just don't like the idea of going anymore because I feel like it would drive me insane, um, especially for that amount of time. So just seeing the parallels, even if you don't notice them until the very end, I know we were just kind of reflecting after we saw the movie and we were picking out things like, oh yeah, that makes sense that that he did this and like this and this and this and, and then how he strays off from his father's path. He has to make that decision at the end about whether... And I half expected him to just go off and just keep looking for aliens, you know, and there are parts where the movie subverted my expectations because there's the scene where they go to the, the distress signal on the ship Mm -hmm. and there's the big, there's the baboon action sequence or whatever. And I thought, Oh, now the movie's going to be all about some sort of like space virus or something that's been discovered. And that's the alien. And the whole movie makes you think that there's that you're going to, there's going to be aliens. You're expecting some sort of big alien climax and you don't get that. Especially, well, I was actually going to say the movie is like a very disappointing Tinder date with Tommy Lee Jones, you know? expecting a big alien climax? <laughs> well, it's like a bad, it's a bad, it's a bad Tinder date with Tommy Lee Jones. You waste all that gas, you get all the way out there, and then he's just like, no, nah, I'm a dip. <laughs> just floats off into space. And the climax, I feel like, is going to disappoint a lot of people. I think so, too. And I, I mean, I was expecting it, too. They kind of lead you to believe that something's going on. And then they don't really explain what the pulses are. So that like they get to the ship and it's sending out these electrical pulses, but we don't ever really understand what or why that that's happening. He just briefly says that the crew did something to damage the ship like yeah. during their altercation or before. That's all very vague. And, and it makes him an unreliable, almost like an, un, not a, a narrator. Cause that's, that's Brad Pitt's character's job, but it makes him, it makes it very unreliable and confusing because you get there and you don't really get any answers as to what really happened to the, you see them dead and you see, it looks like they've been suffocated or yeah. 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 And it's, it's disturbing. It's scary, but you don't really ever find out exactly what happened. You don't know whether Tommy Lee Jones is telling the truth. I did find that a little bit disappointing that we didn't understand the pulses because that was what drove them to do that. Right. And it was destroying earth essentially so my thoughts on that whole concept essentially the pulses are the thing that pushes pushes them to start the process but i think after after a certain amount of time the pulses are no longer what's driving brad pitt that direction 
It's well, not for him. It, yeah, it's the fact that he because that's what we're doing. We're not following the space story. We are following the father son mm-hmm. story. And I think that being pushed in that direction, I think that it's more about him finding Tommy Lee Jones and not him finding out what's going on with the pulse. So at that point, the story doesn't necessarily need it anymore. It's not. It's not the best thing. I still would like to have that tied up with a nice little bow, but the fact that it's not there, it didn't completely deter from me as far as the way that the film ended up. And that's where the the movie's not perfect by any stretch. It's great. I loved it. And I think it's something that I'm definitely going to be thinking about a lot. And it's going to be something that I think I'm going to be revisiting and discussing probably with you guys. But that's where people are going to fall into two camps. They're going to be the people that are there to follow the space story and want all of the things tied up in a little bow about the pulses and the science and the aliens and all that stuff. And they're going to be disappointed that the movie, like a space shuttle shedding all of its parts as it travels through space, it just sheds the parts it doesn't need that don't matter. Yeah. And just focuses directly on the character story. And for the people that maybe don't latch onto character stories like that, like the average viewer who doesn't really care that much about a character-driven story like this, they're going to be disappointed. That's just how, right. yeah. And I mean, I, I loved the the character story. Like that, I was, I knew once it got started, just based off the way the movie looks, I was like, okay, this is a character movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't want a full explanation of what was going on, but I really thought that them answering the question about what the pulses were was going to be a little bit more because it was such a big focus. And it was it was a very basic answer like, oh, they mutinied and they tried yeah. to do this thing and that's how it ended up. And they didn't explain exactly how that took place right. or why he was unable to stop it all these years later. So, I mean, it almost leaves it to something where you have to speculate about it instead. I mean, is it is it something that he actually did? Is it him trying to create enough destruction to get aliens to come? Is it something, you know more sinister than that it's tough to say because i mean there are points in that movie where you're expecting Tommy Lee jones to take the villain turn and he doesn't well and maybe we're supposed to be left a little bit in the dark so that we're a little bit we're still in the perspective of brad pitt's character maybe mm-hmm. you know because he gets there and he doesn't get any answers he doesn't know what caused anything he just kind of comes to the realization that his father is a lost cause and that the mission is a lost cause for that ship and that he needs to destroy it and he does those things he just doesn't get the answers that he spent all of that time looking for. And he has to come to accept that. And I feel like maybe them not explaining those things to us is supposed to leave us in a similar spot as, and and I'm just speculating here. I don't know if that was just, if that was intentional or if that was something that is just lacking in the script. I can't imagine that the script was very long either. I mean, there's very little dialogue spoken. It's mostly just the narration. Yeah. Yeah. Which the voiceover, I, I was, cringing at first because i most of the time cannot stand voiceover in Dude, movies I'm the same way i yeah, don't like i don't it. think it works it just it reminds me of blade runner when, yeah when the bad blade runner. Came, yeah it yeah. Runs, reminds me of the first cut of blade runner and i hated that yeah with and, with time in this case it grew on me but i think a large part of that was because brad pitt's character is so internal mm-hmm. his whole bit is that he's reserved and he's internal you have to have some window into his mind or he's going to be an unlikable character if you don't know what he's thinking, you're just going to think that he's an asshole. Yeah, basically, he's until, a douche, yeah. until the scene where he cries, which I was like, have I ever seen Brad Pitt cry in a movie? It but looked incredible. He, like, yeah, he's, he is winning 2019. I mean, yeah. between this and once upon a time in Hollywood, that guy, I've never been huge on Brad Pitt. I've never disliked him, but I've never thought anything of him. But after this year, I'm just like, man, this guy, 
he knows what he's doing and he's backing the right projects and he's getting involved with, you know, he, he doesn't work super often anymore, but when he does, he's nailing it. And I don't think I've ever seen better acting from him than in this movie. I mean, I, I would say that he's, he's having himself like his own little, uh, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't been in anything that I can think of off the top of my head. That's really bad. Save for oceans 13. Um, <laughs> and that's, and that, that's a guilty pleasure of mine. Like I love the, oh, movies. yeah, I, the, I, if they're on, I'm going to sit down and watch them. I want to go back and talk about something that you mentioned about Tommy Lee Jones and him being an unreliable narrator. But I want to talk about Brad Pitt being an unreliable narrator. Did you guys ever feel like that at all? Because we are getting his internal thoughts. So toward the end, when he gets to his dad's ship, I was wondering, is he even really there? Or is this Brad Pitt? Did I mean, you guys ever have that thought at all? A, a little? Like I mean, like a fight club situation? Like a reverse I mean, fight club? kind of, yeah. Where he's like gets there, <laughs> and again, like he doesn't really have answers. There's nothing there. Maybe he's finding dead bodies. And... Like, how the fuck did Tommy Lee Jones survive for so long? You know what I mean? I had that thought, especially since after they show him let go of Tommy Lee Jones and have him, you know, do somersault through space, they show another scene that at first I didn't realize was a flashback to when they were still on the ship, but they show a scene with him and Tommy Lee Jones, and I was like, oh, has his dad been in his head, like, for half the mission or oh, something? Oh, was that a it, flashback? That's what I, I th- thought that was him hallucinating... No, I thought it was a flashback to when they were still on the ship and he was getting the information because he has the drive. Like, he brings it back to Earth. So right. I assumed it was a yeah. flashback showing uh, that he got all the yeah, data okay. and he brought it, it back to it, Earth. It is a flashback, yes. It's just weirdly but it could, placed, I mean, I But it plays with that idea, I think. I, I think that was done intentionally. I mean, yeah. it could definitely be a situation where, you know, he was just he was just there symbolically. That it was something where where him having to release the thought of being in his father's footsteps. or right. be, I mean... That at the heart of the story, aside from it being a father son thing, it's also a thing about legends and about how you know how hard it is to be in the shadow of a legend, and also how how being a legend can be more than what it seems. I mean, because I mean, for Tommy Lee Jones, I mean, he's revered on Earth mm-hmm. as this as this great pioneer of space, but in reality, he's had to go through all these trials and tribulations that most people would consider to be vile, and I think that that has something to do with it. I think him being afraid of being in his father's footsteps and being afraid of going down that same path, that murderous path. I think that there is a potential that it could be something where they may just have let us uh, speculate, which I prefer that. Yeah. Do we think that in the end he becomes his father because he goes right. And then he releases him. So that's him letting go symbolically of his attachment to his father, I guess. And literally, but then he comes back to Earth, and it seems like he's going to be a hero. Like, he's going to be a hero just like his father was perceived. I think it's the opposite. I think that he comes back with the intention of doing the opposite. Because when he spoke with his father, his father was specifically like, oh, I didn't care about you or your mom. I was always about the mission. Well, and, and I think and- him making that decision to love and to receive love and to be a regular human being, I think that that is supposed to be the separation that's yeah that exactly that to me was the most important thing that differentiated him from his father where he comes back his father was not really a hero right his father is this this myth but he's he's a myth he's not as much a let i mean like he he was actually an asshole and he he gave into his loneliness and he did some awful things brad pitt instead 
turns and comes back and he's going to be an, an actual hero. He stopped the pulses. He did all this stuff. He'll be a, a person that people can actually look up to whose story is real, whose, whose story is true, who is, is going to hopefully go forward in his life, coping with his loneliness in a different way, which I felt that's the part that hit me the most was how different people deal with loneliness. Because as someone who, who deals with it, you know, in my own personal life, sometimes you do want to alienate it, it, You feel like you want to just hide yourself from the world, like Tommy Lee Jones. And he obviously hid himself from the world. from Earth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really like he, he traveled to the coldest, you know, blue toned, saddest place in the, in the solar system <laughs> because he couldn't cope with, being reserved and lonely really steered into the skid there bud <laughs> yeah but he he embraced it as a as opposed to brad pitt who saw it as something that he didn't have to suffer with he could reach out to other people he could reach out to live tyler which i guess we can mention is in this movie for a kinda, little bit yeah kinda enough though i don't I, I didn't want any more of that relationship the what the little bit that we got i think worked really well mm -hmm. to put us in his perspective yeah no i agree because it, if we had gotten more of it i think it would have it would have wasted time and also i i liked the way that they structured it so that you could see it stays with his perspective and if it, we kept, it doesn't get too distracted if we kept more of her we also could have gotten some really terrible um incredible hulk level uh line reads too <laughs> bruce bruce brad brad <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, speaking of people who were in the movie for a short amount of time, our boy uh, Donald Sutherland is in it for a little bit. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Buffy. Buffy. <laughs> yeah. And um, I thought he was great for the short amount of time. I was mm -hmm. sad that he was in it for such a short amount of time, but I thought that he was great. I mean, he's just a great actor, so it was nice to see him. It made it impactful, too. And that scene when he's sitting in, I think, Brad Pitt's office and he comes and sits in the chair next to him and they're just like chatting and he's just like, hey, man. How you feeling or whatever. It's so realistic. I was like, I feel like I'm just ha watching people have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, dude, they are killing this as far as the acting goes. I was, I was so impressed even just by that. Yeah. Little, like, little conversation scenes like that. And those are the scenes I think what might bore some people. But to me, I, I was in the same spot. I was totally engaged by every conversation they had together because it felt real. Yeah. Um, I will say there's a specific scene that I had a problem with. They go through this whole process. Like Donald Sutherland has some of the data about that journey and he's had to protect it like his entire life. Like he's had it on a necklace close to his chest, literally. And, uh, is like super protective of that data. And then we get to Mars and then we have to deal with the woman who's basically in charge of Mars. And she, like they, they stiff armor when they go, when he goes in to record these messages to send through, space wire whatever the fuck you want to call it <laughs> laser transmission and but magically when like all the stuff is over with and he's made contact back whatever realization they've come to she just all of a sudden has this high clearance and has all these videos of tommy lee jones like fucking killing everybody and shit yeah that that part was very that's the most stilted part of the movie in my opinion and it felt very much like oh we just got to spit some gasoline on this engine and get the thing get the car going like it really felt like they needed a really exposition-y scene to get him off of Mars and get him to go do the whole, like, sneaking onto the ship thing, which, by the way, terrifying and gorgeous when he's in that underwater lake thing. Yes. And he's trying to get to the ship. Mm -hmm. And it goes on for what feels like forever. And it was, like, my two worst fears, which is... Space and underwater. Space and the open <laughs> ocean. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. But, uh, yeah, that that bothered me, too. I really felt like it was just there to get him off of mars but and get i mean to keep going 
it wasn't yeah i mean i feel the same way but it wasn't bad it it didn't take away from many things but i think could have been what could have been tweaked to be a little bit better yeah what what upsets me is that it could have been different just the it way that been. we were delivered some of the information about tommy lee jones and the mission could have been tweaked a little bit i feel like yeah it could have been something where instead of it being like classified information from the past it could have been that she used technology to intercept the message back from him and that there was there was you know things that were said that would cause Brad Pitt to want to be the one to go. Yeah, like she's disgruntled about not being able to be in there, be there, you know, doing the recordings and stuff. So she goes all hacker and and intercepts a recording coming back from Neptune or whatever. And she gets this information that nobody else has. And then she's like, well, who deserves it the most? His son. And gives it to him that way or something like that. Yeah. Instead, they make her like, like angry about her parents, which... Which doesn't really pay off either, but yeah, there's no there's no payoff to that, and that's the that's the problem I have with it, like I said, as a whole. And I don't know the actress's name, but she's a pretty good actress, right? Yeah, she's been in a few things, and, and, and she I feel was... like they didn't really utilize her as much mm. as they could have. No, well, and I feel like that's another thing where that might bother some people, but to me, it was mostly it was Ruth Nega mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, from Misfits and Agents mm. of Shield mm. uh, and Preacher. Um, Preacher is where I recognize <laughs> yeah. it from. So I felt like that was just another example of that not being the focus was really anybody else but Brad Pitt in the movie and then Tommy Lee Jones. So they have these characters that need to exist to push the narrative forward to a certain point to get Mm -hmm. us to the point where we don't need any more pushing. Like it basically the movie is just churning and churning and adding things to get us to him getting off of Mars. Once he's off, then the rest of the movie plays out exactly, you know, as planned for the most part, and that's all good once he's gotten there. But to get up to that point, I felt like they needed to have some characters that maybe weren't as developed as we would have liked to have seen in a longer movie or a movie that was going for something more expansive. I really liked the underwater Mars scene where he's like pulling on this rope, right? And then it reminded me like there's a parallel with that with his dad toward the end. So now he's yanking on this rope again. Oh, so now he's yeah. trying to go to his dad, mm-hmm. and now he's trying to go back to his dad again, and then ends up cutting that rope off. And so I really liked the parallel between those two scenes. And we get very orange and dark, and then we get this very like dark and blue. Yeah, the color, the way that the color changes throughout the movie is gorgeous. That kind of stuff I get so nerdy about mm-hmm. is, it, is just when they lean into the color. When it they tells make... you what mood you're supposed to be in almost, right? Yeah. You're on Mars, and that's when you start getting kind of angry, right? You get this orange, and you get this red, and that's when Brad Pitt freaks out. And he has his like moment, right? And then you get the blue of Neptune, and, and you're kind of sad, sad, right? Melancholy, and you're kinda, yeah. And you're kind of just drifting. And I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah, um, I, I definitely felt like I, I, I loved that they leaned into that, and they made it so that they. And and that's another thing that I feel like goes back to like the the Kubrick type stuff, where they have a lot of the long hallway shots that are centered visually, um, but. And the moon is very sterile, and and obviously like that's kind of just been mined to death by colonization or whatever. Uh, something that I was actually I was listening to an interview with James Gray, the director, and he was saying that actually for the lunar like chase scene, which by the way, I mean we talked about this after the movie, but how were they not prepared for space pirates? Yeah. <laughs> Like, they knew that they were out there, and they were like, let's just not give the guy who has uh, military combat training a gun just to build tension, I guess. But anyway, that's besides the point. When they filmed that scene, they actually filmed it in Death Valley, 
mm-hmm. which makes sense. They, they do a lot of kind of like Mars or, you know, they do them in the desert, that kind yeah. of thing. So did it in Death Valley. But what they ended up doing is they had the whole spacesuit and everything with an air conditioning system. But uh, Gray was saying that it was actually a huge bitch to film because the air conditioning units would go out in the spacesuits. And so you'd be in this huge bulky spacesuit in Death Valley and like over 100 degree weather filming. Fuck that. Fuck that forever. So what they did, and and he was saying he doesn't know if anybody has done this before, and I'd be curious. They actually replaced the Death Valley footage, some of the Death Valley footage, with actual HD footage of the moon. So some of the footage that you see in that scene is of the moon. So the 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 scenes are technically kind of filmed on the you know (laughs) on the moon in a way. (laughs) That's tight. Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting little tidbit about the filming of that, which I I thought was gorgeous. I really liked a lot of the shots, like not just the way that they looked, but the way that they were done. We had a lot of these like swirling camera rotations, right? The editing was fantastic in a lot of the scenes too. There was one point where we're like looking through a thin bar and then it goes and zooms in and in and then now it's a window to something. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what is going on? And it's just so smooth. I was very stuck on... (laughs) On just the technical aspects of this movie. Yeah, I was looking, especially whenever they have the little reflective visors down on their space helmets, seeing the way that certain things reflect and trying to see if there were images that I was supposed to be picking out of, you know, doors opening. And I'm like, oh, that is that a a, a feminine reference? You know, things like that where I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think like, okay, how does this play into the narrative? But sometimes it's just cool to look at. Yeah. Where it just be lights passing over the visor or things reflected in it. Um and just the way that they use that stuff. And they did a lot like an interstellar that blew me away with using models uh, for, for the shuttles and things in space. Mm-hmm. And, and Gray talked in the interview about how, you know, you'll film a scene and there will be little, little things like, Oh, there's not a little bit of sunlight glinting off of the solar panel on this one part of the ship. And it makes the whole thing look wrong. So he's saying that there's so much that goes into post-production after you filmed to try to make the scenes. And that was what he went, he sought to do was to make it, as realistic as possible obviously unless they go and film in space there are things about space that are maybe boring in reality or not as fantastical Mm -hmm. or whatever so they have to bend some of the rules and things and i'm sure we'll get a bunch of tweets from neil degrasse tyson where he'll tear the the whole movie apart (laughs) but i thought from for someone who has never been to space it felt i was immersed i felt like i I was in these places i didn't once think oh they filmed this this mars scene in a studio in la or whatever i thought okay if i feel like we're on mars especially anything that took place out on the surface of of the planets or even being near neptune that was i hadn't even thought you don't think about those outer planets as much in terms of being in film you don't see them you've seen we've seen mars in a bunch of good and bad movies and we've seen the moon in a bunch of movies and everything but seeing Neptune and seeing like passing through the rings mm-hmm. and how those are made up and, and seeing the planet that close and how huge it is. Or seeing Jupiter. Yeah. Jupiter terrifies me. I don't even want to think about it right now. <laughs> big, old, big old gas giant. I mean, that was another scene that I found a little bit problematic where he kind of makes Captain the Ameri- Captain America's through the, <laughs> I like, yeah. I mean, the chances of you calculating that just right, just like, uh. but I mean, we can nitpick that kind of shit all day and it's not going to really detract from the movie itself. And I, I mean, also thought that the sound, with the sound design mm-hmm. and the sound mixing and everything, I mean, even when you were talking about like going in and out of the sound, it was so good. I mean, I I would be surprised if this movie doesn't get nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Yeah, I I, I think it be, will, especially visu- visually. Yeah, right. Any of the visual categories, I think it's gonna it's gonna be at the top. 
Well, to touch back momentarily about specifically the scene with the shield. Right. Uh, it almost lends credence to the idea that it didn't happen, that it was in his head. So, I mean, he may not have actually left that other ship. He may have just gone in, did what he had to do and left, but had this narrative that he created in his mind. Because that does seem like super, like, over-the-top heroic shit. Right. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. And then the ending, do we assume that he and Liv are trying to get back together? Or and, he's at least trying to get back together with her, yeah. And But yet he's still trying to go on missions? I don't think so. I think that he's he's made his discovery that, that what he wants isn't out there anymore. Because he gives that narrative and, like, psych evaluation, and then it ends. Yeah, I mean, I think we're supposed to we're supposed to take from it that... His whole doing what he's been doing as an astronaut has been a way to try to connect with his father. And now that he has successfully broken that connection and he's made peace. Yeah. (laughs) And he's made peace that he probably will keep both feet on the ground from now on. Speaking of sound, what I wanted to bring up is uh, Max Richter, who did the score. I thought the score was amazing. Lots Mm -hmm. of just ambient droning, which I'm always into into scores that are like that. But (laughs) you're going to like this, Anthony. Little tie into Arrival. His song, it's uh, it's called "On the Nature of Daylight," opens and closes arrival. Hey. He also did music for Prometheus, which I feel like makes sense. Yeah, and uh, he did some stuff for like Black Mirror and Castle Rock. But I thought that the score was great. It wasn't distracting, but it added tension where there needed to be tension. And there were little parts we talked about this when they go into the abandoned ship that has the distress signal the score takes a little horror turn mm-hmm. where it starts to try to make you think just based on the score that you're about to see a horror movie a lot of creepy plucked strings and stuff yeah and so it does those those nice little shifts where it slightly changes where you think the movie is gonna go but yeah i thought that it that was one of my favorite parts too was the music do we want to talk about brad pitt's performance since he is the main focus i think that it I think station for a little gold statue, just based on that one scene alone where he's crying as he's like trying to like talk to his father, like when he starts to break down, is it just watching how his face changes? Like I said, the eyebrow starts to quiver a little bit and you can see that he's like, obviously he's acting. So he's trying to, he's trying to cry, but he's also trying to make it seem like he's trying to restrain that. Because that's all this character's ever known is to restrain those emotions. So he's like a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. (laughs) Yes, but it fucking works. It's like perfect. It's not fucking Robert Robert Downey Jr. in in blackface. It fucking works flawlessly. I uh, didn't get the full impact of that scene because some broad next to me was on her phone. And I was very distracted. And I was like, come on, dude. Like, If you don't want to be here, then just go. So let's just take that whole person and put them in the trash. Well, just, let's let's fire them to Neptune. They um, coincidentally were walking out behind us when we were leaving, and I heard one of the people in the party say, "I'm trying to decide if that was the worst movie I was ever excited about, or if that was just the worst movie I've ever seen in theaters." And I was like, "Wow, really? Maybe you should have fucking paid attention for more than thirty seconds. Like, even if you don't like the story, which is what you think that people are going to be kind of um, split on. It's a huge overstatement to say worst movie ever or anything close I to mean, that. that. Yeah, like how were you not visually and auditorily like mesmerized by that film? Well, what? I that's why I have made it a habit to try to beeline my way away from whatever like uh, screen I saw a movie in because sometimes." 
it makes me sad if I really love a movie and I walk out and I hear somebody say something like that. It makes me sad that people don't appreciate movies the way that like we do in this room. Yeah. And so then, you know, that's why I like to go see movies with you guys. Or when I walk out, I would rather go stand outside and talk about the movie away from other people mm-hmm. <laughs> because you walk out and you just hear these people who, you know, they were probably on their phone the whole time, you know, opening their loud ass candy. And I mean, we can do a whole episode, maybe at some point, a whole bonus episode about like worst theater experiences or something. But <laughs> I have some pretty bad ones. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, and how is it that you can say that that's potentially the worst movie that you've ever seen in a world where movies like movie 43 exist? Because fuck that shit. It's just it's just people who got their expectations way off kilter for what the movie was. I think so, and I think that that's fair because that does happen. And with the advertisement, it's hard to know exactly what kind of movie this is, and they show you a lot more action sequences. And I guess you don't really advertise dramas like how you would a space movie. And so I think that that's a little bit fair for them to have those expectations and for them to be a little bit let down. It's just but another a little bit is different than worst, worst movie, movie I've ever yeah. seen. It's no, just another movie. point in the John Court of not watching trailers if you can help it. And I, and I do that for the most part. I I avoid trailers when they're posted on social media and stuff. I'll watch like a teaser. And that's what I did for Ad Astra. I had seen maybe like snippets of a trailer. And all I knew about it was Brad Pitt, Space. I went in with not low expectations. I just went in with no expectations. Yes. I just went in, which I feel like these days gives me the best experience for movies, is going in with no expectations. And that's what I just went in I, I just hoping that it was good. But I wouldn't have been crushed if it wasn't. I was just prepared for anything to happen. Like I said, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into this. Like, oh, it's going to be this huge sci-fi action epic or anything like that. I made I made sure that when I went in to sit down and watch this film, I was like, I don't know what this is. I have no fucking idea what this is. I'm just prepared for it to be anything. And I was I was awestruck just based on the visuals alone. Yeah, and so I'm I'm definitely excited to see how it performs i haven't really looked into box office for it um but i'm definitely interested uh, yeah if john john if you want to look into that but i'm interested to see how it performs box critically Ninja. critically it's doing well mm-hmm. um and i think that's where it's going to do well is critically and then when it comes around to oscar time i think at least visually i would love to see brad pitt get nominated for something it's just his performance isn't flashy which i'm okay with i love that it's not flashy but sometimes the flashy performances are the ones that end up getting more hype when it comes to Oscar season. And as the years go by, I take, I put less stock in, in the Oscars in general. I, I'm more jaded about the whole thing as the years go by. Um, <laughs> I think that he, if he doesn't get best actor, I think that he will at least get supporting for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's a flashy performance. So, I mean, that's a lot more. So good, though. Yeah, but that's a lot more in the vein of, like, you know, what he does with Tarantino, you know killing nazis <laughs> so at astra it looks like in its opening weekend made 19.2 million dollars um that's I had to have a fat budget though uh it says that the reported budget would have been somewhere in the 80 to 100 million ta- like category and you but, got and you got to double that for marketing right so it's gonna it's gonna be a, a by like financial flop then not necessarily so at this point they're saying the reason why a lot of people didn't go to see that movie is because it came out the same week same weekend as rambo last blood which was critically panned and made around the same amount of money um and the big winner of the weekend was downton Downton abbey Abbey. yeah 31 million dollars (sighs) the the biggest release for focus features ever i can't say much because i've never watched Downton abbey i can't be a hater it's got dan stevens I love, love dance. I know. Yeah. And it's got Maggie Smith. Ah, uh, McGonagall. <laughs> so I watch that shit. 
Yeah, I'm going to go have a marathon now. <laughs> I also like to call it Downtown Abbey because I'm American and we like to mess stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that we want to say about Ad Astra as far as talking about it goes? Um, I think that I've made my peace with the film. I was, I was thoroughly entertained the entire time. I think that if you're going to see it, go see it in theaters. This movie deserves your money. IMAX, and, if you can. Yes. Yeah, I, I, would, I, 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 I need would, to re-see it in IMAX. I would definitely. I'd probably it cry. Sure. I would say if you're looking for an action space adventure movie, that this isn't going to be the movie yeah, for sit, you. Sit down at home and turn on Aliens. If you want something <laughs> that's a little bit slower paced, that's more character driven and stunning for your eyes and your ears, then this movie is going to be for you. Yeah, if you can put your phone down for two hours and you get immersed, it becomes a very quick two hours. Yes. If you are distracted and kind of bored, it's going to feel like a really long movie. But I think there was only one point where I was like, okay, this is a little bit draggy. And I think it was when with, with that scene with Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was the Mars stuff. I felt it took a little bit longer than I yeah. wanted it to. But for the most part, I mean, I did have to go leave to pee once, which is not bad for me. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't in a, at a super important scene, but that's just, I always see that as an excuse for me to go see the movie a second time. Then, then I just go pee at a different time and I don't miss any of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So out of, um, we'll say, uh, five, uh, rage induced, uh, uh, baboons, but I, uh, yeah, you read my mind. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go four and a half, four and a half. Nice. Yeah. It wasn't perfect. There's definitely some stuff where I was like, oh, all right. Also send some, uh, some disbelief here, but. Yeah, I mean, just for the spectacle of it alone, I was just enthralled. I'm gonna cop out a little bit at a four point two five. So that puts <laughs> so out of ten, that puts it at an eight point five. That's what I gave it for my review for for Entertainment Vortex, and I feel like that still stands based on the thinking. It's when you get to that four or like four would be an eight, right? Yeah. yeah so when you right. get to that, when you get to that four and a half, which would be a nine. Or anything higher than that. Those are things that I consider to be like instant classics. You're doing too much math. You lost me. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know necessarily if I would consider it to be that, but it is one of the best movies that I've seen this year for sure. Oh, I've yeah. seen a lot of bad movies this year, <laughs> but this... and you're going to see a lot more when October comes. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so excited. But I I enjoyed it. Like I said, it's definitely something I would go back and see again, and I'm glad that I saw it in theaters. I'm going to give Ad Astra a solid four point four. <laughs> Try to keep it in the middle. Yeah, um, I thought that it is technically absolutely amazing. Uh, you, it's going to be really hard to top it. I mean, we had we've had things like Gravity and Interstellar. Each of those blew me away. I don't, with, but I don't think they compete. But they don't. They don't. They don't even stack up. There's just something about this movie, and I can't wait to see it again on a bigger screen. Four point four. I am definitely going to revisit it, and I would recommend it for anyone who likes a solid character-driven story or just likes to look at brad pitt because guys he's gorgeous in this movie <laughs> he is he really is i kept thinking damn man if only we could all be that lucky yep. <laughs> especially when we're pushing what he's almost 60 isn't he he's like a 50 mid 50s i think yeah, yeah. somewhere in that territory yeah so if i could look like that around that age i'd be feeling good if i could look like that now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean and i would definitely say Comparing it to things like Gravity or Interstellar, I not not as much with Interstellar, but with specifically with Gravity. In Gravity, everything seems very fluffy and unshapen as compared to this. This feels gritty and real, and I think that that's why this feels so impactful to watch. 
Gravity was about making you anxious. Yeah. This movie is about the making you feel emotional. Feelings. Yeah. <laughs> feel feeling. Feel the feels. <laughs> making yeah. you feel the feel. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. So that's going to wrap it up for our discussion on Ad Astra. If there's anything that we missed, then feel free to let us know and share your thoughts with us. But before we end, we'll jump into some of our recommendations. Patrick, what is it? Where are you going? I've got to return some video tapes. I'll go ahead and start off. If at all possible, I would suggest to go out and if you can find a place that's showing it because they're going to do a secondary release of it, check out Three From Hell. I'm not hearing great things about it, but I mean, it is something where you know, do it for Sid, you know, give him that last, give him that last send off. I mean, I don't know if we'll be able to get it anywhere near us to see it in theaters. Uh, I would love to do so just to kind of pay him that last tribute. But if it does come to streaming soon, which I feel like it probably will, we'll just have to all, we'll have to get together and do a little viewing of it. Maybe, uh, probably be the worst. maybe do a double feature with devil's rejects or something. It'll be the worst movie we've ever seen that we'll all cry to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to recommend, john carpenter's music <laughs> he has i don't know if you have apple music and it probably is on spotify or whatever mm-hmm. the other shit is but it has the lost themes and lost themes too and every once in a while it comes on my shuffle i'm like what is this and then i'm always like oh it's carpenter and it's amazing so if uh you're into scores and you're into john carpenter's music definitely check those two things out I mean, just about any time it comes up on your shuffle i usually get a message shortly after that's like check out this carpenter <laughs> <laughs> It's good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For my recommendations, I'm going to do two movies. The first is going to be a movie that I've seen several times now, and I just recently rewatched it with my girlfriend. She hadn't seen it, and that is A Ghost Story. Mm. I put together a little list of movies. She is – I told her about Ad Astra and told her that it was a movie that I thought she would enjoy because she has very, very picky taste. She's Mm -hmm. very – I don't want to use the word hipster, but she's just very, very particular about the kind of movies that she likes. And she's trying to expand her horizons a little bit and watch more movies because she feels like being, being with me, being around me, the person who's seen everything, you know, it, it's irritating. It, it, it can get irritating, <laughs> but then uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, that's why I lock myself in a room with uh, myself in a room with you guys. But um, she, yeah, she wants to, you know, she wants to see more stuff so she can talk more about movies. So I made a little list, and a ghost story was on the top of it. I felt like that was a good, short little movie that is gorgeously filmed. The narrative is simple, but also really complex at the same time. Amazing music. And just rewatching it every time I watch it, I, I want to cry. Soundtrack actually came on when we were on our way here today. Yeah. Oh, I always tear up. And yeah, so we watched it. She loved it. I mean, we joked about the 10-minute mi- ten pie-eating scene with Rooney Mara, but... <laughs> so good, though. It's so it's so emotional. That it, I mean, that movie just captures those emotions in such an interesting... And just does a ghost story in such an interesting and different way. So I definitely want to recommend that for anyone who hasn't checked it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Go check out a ghost story. You're making me want to rewatch it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling sad. I always throw that movie on just to really indulge in my sadness. Right. It's like putting on sad music. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like breakup. putting on brand new. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And then my other one is one that we've talked about. Uh, uh, well, Anthony's talked about on previous podcasts <laughs> that I finally checked out last night, which is Hell House LLC. And I have to say that movie, I'm, I'm not a person who scares easily. And I was telling people 
when I was watching it last night, I was pretty terrified and I was having to look away and I was not expecting that because I've seen so many found footage movies at this point and I was not expecting anything. And I don't know what it was, something about the way that maybe because it took place in a haunt. So there was already the creepiness of being in a haunt, but then on top of that, the creepiness of ghosts, but it was just so well done. I haven't seen it yet. And I'm, and it is on my list. I definitely, I think what I'll end up doing is when we start going through our movies that we, um, that we'll discuss here shortly. Um, when we start going through some of those movies, if we do happen to run a, run across a short or dud, I think at that point, I think I might toss it on as like a, like, all right, let's get really serious. Yeah. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really quick watch and it sucked me in really, really quickly. So the movie does not feel like it takes, and it's, it gets pretty quickly. It gets to a breakneck pace and the scares come boom, 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 but not in an overwhelming way. It's all very subtle, mm-hmm. which is what makes it work so well. And the found footage is not nauseating shaky cam for the most part. It's really well done and it's done like a documentary. So it cuts to little interviews and things like that. But yeah, there were parts where I had to, just like when I was a kid and I was watching the Halloween movies and stuff, I had to look away from the screen a little bit because I just, I was like, I'm going to have a heart attack. But I was just like, I was like Roxanne. I had the red light on in my room <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was just, oh, I was just laying there on my floor. And at one point the pillow that I had propped up, like slipped out from under my head and <laughs> I almost died. <laughs> I thought I was getting hell house. Gotta, gotta check your pants real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah it was it's, great. It's good, and it's it's definitely one of those ones where you know you set the mood and it works. Yeah, absolutely. It really, really, and it's a movie that's set around Halloween time, so it. I'm just so in the mood right now for Halloween stuff. I can barely contain myself. I thought that sentence was going to end short. I thought you were going to say that you were just really in the mood, and I was going to be like, "That's a TMI." <laughs> I mean, again, we are. All locked in this room together. Yeah, we are. But uh, using your reference to Halloween as a segue into mm-hmm. our list. So for the month of October, we are going to be watching 31 movies. Whoa. and 31 terror tales. 31 terror tales, yes. So one week we are going to be doing TV shows, um, f- famous episodes based around Halloween or that are kind of spooky. So for the first week, we are going to be doing all seven movies that are themed around Halloween. And we will tell you the first one. Is it? It's All Hallows Eve. Yeah, we're going to be watching All Hallows Eve. And that's all we're going to give you for now. But if you check on our Instagram tomorrow, after the air date of this episode, then we'll have a full list of the first seven that we're going to be watching. So be sure to look out for that. Yeah, so the way we'll be doing it is that um, I will be putting together the movies in seven, uh, seven movie chunks. They'll be put out they'll be color-coded so you can keep track of weeks and they'll come out with the, lo- the new logo that's been designed for the 31 terror tales and we're going to be turning it into a big event so anyone who wants to join in and hop in on these movies we super encourage it i've already got all, all hollows eve queued up i believe it's a little kind of anthology movie so i'm excited about that i think it's supposed to be the first the first uh iteration of the terrifier yeah i think he's yeah. in a short in this in it this is film. yeah yeah i read that so I'm excited. I'm probably going to you know, hop on that tomorrow and, and get started because we're really going to start moving quick once these once we get into October. These movies are going to be – we're going to be racing to get through them. And, uh, but I think we're going to have some really good discussions about the good ones and the bad ones. So, yeah, guys, uh, keep a lookout tomorrow for the schedule that's coming out and uh, pick out a couple. And you can go ahead and listen and, and chat with us on social. 
Yeah, so if you, like Anthony was saying, if you want to follow along, then you can follow along strictly. Or if you want to just pick out a few, do that. Or if you have your own list, then share that with us and maybe we can try to get some bonus ones in and check out your movies. Yeah, I'd love that. All right, guys, anything else? I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Uh, All right, well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Keep it creepy. Keep it creepy. You can find Porcelain Peak on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. And if you're going to listen to PodCoin, don't forget to use the code PORCELAIN. That's P-O-R-C-E-L-A-I-N for 300 free coins. Wherever you listen, don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe so you never miss a spine-tingling episode. Don't forget to follow us at Porcelain Peak on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or check us out on PorcelainPeak.com for additional content. Special thanks to Randy Greer for writing and producing our intro song, and to Anthony Silva for designing the Porcelain Peak logo. This has been here for this fair weirdos production.